who, who has been uh, actually acknowledging and practicing this season of Lent? Anybody? Yes, one, two, three, three people, three of you? Hmm. It's uh, a long tradition within our faith community, the practice of Lent. Go with me to Matthew chapter 4. This is a text that is historically used that the church will emphasize and teach during this season as we're remembering his suffering, the willingness for him to suffer in his flesh the way he did. Sleep deprivation, food deprivation, familiar deprivation. He, he wasn't married, he never had children. All of the things that we would enjoy and find comfort in, he had forsaken. Because he wanted to show his commitment and his obedience to the Father and the Father's will for his life and demonstrate how we, too, can exercise that same self-discipline and obedience through the person of his Holy Spirit. But in Matthew chapter 4, Let's just, I'm going to read the first 11 verses. Let's read it together. The first 11 verses, and then we'll talk about it. You ready? Everybody's there? Then Jesus went up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God... Command these stones to become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. In the very first verse, the very first word is the then. Then indicates that there was something preceding that that we should know. Well, what preceded the then? His baptism, that's right. Verse 13 says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. When he allowed him, when he had baptized Jesus coming up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, what did he say? This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. 
So it is no wonder why the attacks that are coming from Satan are, if you are the Son of God, then. If you truly are the Son of God, then. Okay? But what Jesus was showing him was that Jesus would be victorious over the temptations of sin. These are the same temptations that, unfortunately, Israel had experienced in their wilderness wandering. How many years was that? 40 years. How many days was Jesus tempted? I was fasting before he was tempted? 40 days. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6 for a moment. Deuteronomy 6. So we can see the context of when Jesus is responding. Now, he's not responding as the, the son of God. He's responding as a son of man. He's responding the same way that you and I can when temptations and testings come our way. We respond through the word of God. We don't have divine power. He did. And he could have used his divine power to rebuke the devil and reject his temptations. But no, he's going to use the, what is natural for all of us, trusting the word of God. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And what's the subject here? The greatest commandment. Now look at verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What is the commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. Your life is to be immersed. Your life is to be centered on the person of God and his word, his commandments. Our children are to be brought up in a, in a biblical worldview. Our children are to be brought up in a culture that is completely Christ-centered and word-centered. This is what he's saying here. Well, what is the theme of chapter 7. The chosen people. And why were they chosen? Look with me. Let's pick it up in verse 6 of chapter 7. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And the Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all people. It's surely true today too, isn't it? But because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Relative to what we're talking about tonight, verse 9, therefore know that the Lord your God, he is God. The faithful God who keeps covenant and mercy for thousands of generations with those who love him, with those who keep his commandments. Now, verse chapter 8. What is the theme of chapter 8? Remember the Lord your God. Remember who you are to serve. Let's pick it up uh, in verse 2. You shall remember chapter 8, verse 2 of Deuteronomy. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and to test you whether you would keep the commandments or not. And so he humbled you, allowed you to hunger, and he fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man 
shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Why did God do that? Why was that wilderness wandering for 40 years? To humble them and to test them. You know, when we go through various trials and testings and sufferings in this life, it truly is a humbling experience. But that humbling experience should also make us yield ourselves and surrender to the Lord our God, to draw closer to the Lord and not run further away from him, although unfortunately so many do. And this is the context in, in which Jesus is answering the question, where Israel had failed for 40 years, another son of God, because Israel is called the son of God. Israel is called the firstborn. Israel is called his bride. But another son of God, another firstborn, he would be successful in the testings that were brought about upon him. Now, was God the father testing Jesus to see what he was made of? To see whether he, no. God the father was allowing these testings to come and Jesus was submitting to them to show you and I, to show Israel, to show the church how we can successfully go through the testings and the trials and the sufferings of this life. Some of them are a result of sin in this world. Some of them are a result of our own foolishness, but some of them are orchestrated by God where he brings us through these testings. So please understand, Jesus is demonstrating that, that it's successful. You can do all things are possible through Christ who strengthens you. He, you're successful in being able to do what Israel could not. They did not pass the test, did they? Those 40 years. No, no. Tempted as they were. Go back to Matthew chapter 4. And let's look at it a little closer. Then, after Jesus was baptized, Luke's gospel tells us when he was filled with the Holy Spirit. After he was filled with the Holy Spirit there, this wonderful, glorious experience there at the Jordan where John, where John was baptizing, Jesus is filled with the Spirit. And where does the Spirit lead him? Out into the wilderness. The other side of Jericho, out into the desert. It is lifeless. It is barren. It's the very place. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? As the man was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, he fell among thieves. Well, this is the place. This is the territory. This is the area. And the Holy Spirit, Jesus being filled with the Spirit, Mark tells us, drove him out into the wilderness. Drove him out to be tempted. A lot of times the testings, the temptings, the sufferings, the trials that we go through, God orchestrates those because he wants to continue to strengthen us in faith. And as we go through those smaller testings, let me tell you something, the testings and the sufferings and the trials, they just increase. So I just want you to know that. It's not, it's not, it doesn't mean, oh, I passed this one no more, thank God. No, 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 no. They get more severe. Consider the Apostle Paul. And all of the multitude of sufferings and testings that he went through to display his love for God and his obedience. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. How, how was Israel to show their love for God? By obeying the commandments. And did they? No. No. For a short time. All that the Lord has said we will do is what they said. The very next day they broke the commandments. <laughs> Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. You think so? Yeah, I'm fasting certain things, and uh, I, I, I crave those things, you know. 
It's been, uh, let's see, after three days, they say your cravings for sugar go away. Don't believe it. Three weeks? Three weeks. I'll be done with lead by then. <laughs> I can start the cravings all over again. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's, nonetheless, I can't imagine what it would be like to go 40 days without anything at all. But this is a supernatural fast. Now, we said last time we were together two weeks ago, how many people fasted for 40 days in the Bible? Who? Four. Four. Moses, Joshua, Elijah, and Jesus. Moses, Joshua, Elijah, and Jesus. They all fasted for 40 days. Now, it had to be a supernatural fast. God alone had to be able to give them the capacity to do that. But Jesus is showing us what he is able to do in the strength of his Father, in the strength of the person of the Holy Spirit, which he was just baptized with. That same strength, that same power is given to you and I if we are willing to receive it. If we're willing to deny ourselves, as he's going to demonstrate for us. Now, the first temptation. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said to him, if you are the son of God, in the Greek context, or the way it's constructed, it's really saying, since you are the son of God. That's what it should be. Because previous to the then, okay, he was baptized by the Holy Spirit, and the voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved son. So the devil's just affirming what God had already said. Okay, since you are the son of God, and have all of this divine power raging within you, command these stones to become bread. Now, what's the temptation here? To satisfy your flesh. Pam, you're so hospitable. You're always inviting people to your house to stay over there. You know, you've invited the galliers there, all nine of them, haven't you? Yeah. And when they come and they come through the door, you're going to say, make yourself at home or make yourself comfortable. Comfortable. We like being comfortable, don't we? That's a bad place for us to be. And it's a, it's a very bad craving for us to crave our comforts. Because God's always wanting to take us out of our comfort. Israel was looking for an economic Messiah, right? When they fed the 5,000, he fed the 4,000. They had the best fish and chips meal in their life, and they had to do nothing for it. Didn't cost him a penny. Just had to receive it. Oh, boy. How we worship this God of prosperity. Don't we? In the prosperity gospel of today. They, they don't. This is the temptation that they succumb to. That God exists for my comfort. God exists for my pleasures. Oh, but what happens when true believers, okay, are not comfortable, when they're out of their comfort zone, when their pleasures aren't being met, when life becomes very difficult, they still choose to bow the knee in their heart and their will to God. But what happens to the make-believer when trials come, when they don't have their comforts met, when he's not providing them everything that they think he should, or when the times get difficult and they want to comfort their flesh, Somehow, what are the things that they run to? Tell me. Alcohol, Alcohol drugs, inappropriate relationships. 
finding comfort. If that's what you're seeking, comfort, then the tempter can tempt you very easily. He can test you away and steal your heart away from God because what you really desire is pleasure, comfort. You want a political Messiah, takes away all, or economic Messiah, takes away all your problems and your cares. Is that what he offers us? No, not at all. But what's Jesus' response? Quoting from Deuteronomy 6, which we read earlier, and it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Now we know contextually he's speaking about when God had provided manna from heaven. What he's teaching you and I, what he's trying to teach Israel here is to become completely dependent upon God. Don't try to meet your needs artificially. Don't try to meet your needs in an inappropriate way. And God will provide, but what he provides more importantly than anything else is himself and his word into our hearts and into our lives. James Sequoia is not here tonight. James and Adele. Has any of you ever seen the video of the house they lived on in the islands? You, you need to see the house that they lived in in the island, the lifestyle that they had. I mean, I was shocked. It's a lifestyle of the rich and famous. Unbelievable home right there on an oceanfront. And he said, Pastor, we had everything, but we had nothing. We had everything, but we had nothing. What did he talk about? What was he talking about? Materially, he had every, all the creature comforts you would want. He spent his days, because his business required very little management on his behalf, he spent his days swimming and cycling and enjoying the, the beach. Can you imagine? That sounds like a dream, doesn't it? Paradise. Hmm? But what they longed for, what they were craving, was fellowship. True, genuine, sincere fellowship with the Lord and with his body. And if I get an opportunity, I'll ask him if he want to share on Sunday morning because the emphasis is going to be on Christian fellowship, on assembling together and enjoying all of the richness of what it means to become part of the body of Christ. So they, know they forsook all of their comforts. And, and listen, it had to be that when you see, if you ask James to show you the video, I was shocked. I was shocked. I said, it had, to be the, it had to be the Lord to move you from there to here. No doubt. No doubt at all. <laughs> and now they have everything. And Jesus and you, his family, right? They long for that. But here, what Jesus is talking about here, he, he's not the Messiah to meet your, all of your economic and financial needs, all of your comforts, all of your pleasures. No, 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 no. No. And we need to learn to lean upon the Lord and be dependent upon the Lord. And the bread that he wants us to be dependent upon is not the bread that's baked in an oven, but it's the bread of his word. Amen? Yeah. How much do you really lean upon the word of God? How much do you spend into the word of God? And he denied himself to prove that point. Verse 5, and oh, by the way, I'd like to mention that these same temptations are the very temptations that who suffered by the serpent? Eve. 
If you can make a comparison, if you go to Genesis chapter 3, of the temptations that the devil brought about Eve, are the very same temptations that he brought about Israel throughout the wilderness wandering, and the very same temptations he's bringing to Christ, very same temptations he brings upon you and I. But we're more than conquerors through Christ. I have to emphasize it again. We are not victims. We are victors. This society today, it, it bathes in that victim mentality more than ever before. I have no tolerance for that. No, not as Christians. An unbeliever? Oh, I can understand why they would have that victim mentality. But as a believer, never. No, nay. Why? Because I'm more than a conqueror through Christ who loves me so. Amen? Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, Okay, since you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. And he's quoting again from Deuteronomy. He's using the word. Now, Satan knows the word, doesn't he? But what's the problem? He, does, he doesn't obey it. And he twists it. He twists the scriptures and he doesn't obey. There's a lot of people that know the word of God, but they won't go under its authority. I've had some conversations of late with some people that are way out there again. I can't understand what's happened. <clears throat> Friends who we would walk with, we come to worship with, we come before the Lord together. But now they're justifying their disobedience to God because of their pleasures or their comfort. Oh, but I'm being transparent. What does that mean? So, you're blatant about your sin. You're brazen about your sin. You're letting the whole world know. So what is that? What good is that? Far worse to know the truth and disobey it than to not know the truth and disobey. There's a greater judgment coming, right? Yeah. And what's the temptation here? He says, throw yourself down, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What's the problem here? He doesn't give you the whole truth and nothing but the truth to help you. God, listen, in so many circles today, the problem is not what they say, it's what they left out. It's what they haven't said. The text actually says, you shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. What ways might they be? The ways of the Lord. Right? You know that song, we choose the way of the Lord. Yeah. Now what, what, what is being shared there in that text is that for the individual, for the man, the woman, who is obeying God, walking in his ways, he has his divine protection. His guidance, his provision, everything imaginable. But it's when you're in obedience to God's will. Now, is it ever God's will for you to put God to the test? Is it ever God's will for you to tempt God? And that's, that's the word here. It's really test. Do you have any right whatsoever to, to test the Lord? And I think it's absolutely amazing. It's, 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 it's so arrogant, it's so ignorant, it's so audacious when people stand in judgment of the word of God. Nothing could be worse, right? Well, 
That's, that was then, but this is now. No, 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 no. And what's the temptation here? I'm sorry? To be popular, sensational. I want a miracle-working Messiah. I only I don't only want an economic Messiah who's going to meet every one of my needs, right? I want a miracle-working Messiah that I'll never suffer any affliction. He healed the blind, the lame. He raised the dead. That's what they were looking for, the sensational. But what is Jesus' response here? And Jesus said to him, it is written... Again, you shall not test or tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. Now, this is a real temptation. Why? Huh? Yeah, that, he, this is what he came for, to be the king of this world, the Lord of glory. But it has to be God's way, not Satan's way. It has to be God's way, not my way or your way. And Satan is offering him a shortcut to avoid the suffering that he need go through. And the devil took him up unto an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. What's, what's the challenge here? They want a political Messiah. Power and wealth, right? Isn't that what politicians want? Huh? They, they go after power, and the more power they get, the wealthier they become. How is it that everybody goes to Washington and they have nothing, and they come out and they're multimillionaires? Right? That's the temptation here. All the kingdoms of the world and all of its splendor I'll give to you. If you bow down and worship me, I'll give you power and you will be the political leader of the world. Hmm. He didn't come to be an economic messiah. He didn't come to be a miracle working messiah. He didn't come to be a political messiah, did he? Isaiah tells us that the first coming of this messiah was to be the Suffering Messiah. He came to suffer on our behalf so that we would not have to. He gave his life so that we would have eternal life. He sacrificed his life for you, and now he's asking us in return, if we really demonstrate our love for him, we will sacrifice our life in return. He's not asking you to die. He's just asking you to be obedient. To forsake some of the comforts, the notoriety and the popularity, the power and the wealth that the devil so tempts everyone with. I, I thank God we've never been a large church because I, I have never had to resist those temptations. But the larger an organization becomes, the larger the platform for the men, it seems it's so corrupting, isn't it? We see a lot of good men in the ministry, who get so corrupted over the, the pleasures and the comforts, over the notoriety, the popularity, that celebrity status, and then drunk with their power, authority, and the wealth comes along with it. The devil hasn't changed a thing, has he? 
Why? Because human nature hasn't changed. The way in which we're tempted hasn't, been, hasn't changed at all. Fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Um, you know, you, you, you talk to God about it, but it's good for you and I to afflict our souls, to afflict our flesh. It's good for you to exercise that discipline so that your flesh understands it's not in control. Too often, in too many situations, and I, I, I can name, too, too numerous to name on two hands, where I know men who are good, godly men following the Lord, who allowed the lust of their appetite, no matter which one of the three it was, to trump all reason and logic. Do you understand that once, once that appetite, once that lust is excited, once that appetite is aroused, it trumps all reason. They do such unreasonable things that make no sense at all. And I said, but the word of God says, but I'm being honest. So you're honestly going to hell. Is that not true? Now, now we've got to be very careful because we're, we, we're the best of men, men at best. And so we need to be very careful not to excite those appetites, those lusts, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. Because once you excite it, So Gail goes by the donut shop this morning looking for my van. <laughs> she said, I just looked over to see if your van was there. It wasn't there, because I'm not fasting for me or you. I'm fasting for the Lord. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying, and you know what I'm talking about. Now, they're more serious appetites that you can satisfy and indulge in that are far more damaging, you know. Where and what area are you having a struggle obeying the Lord? What is that besetting sin, that thorn in your flesh? Not the physical affliction, but a, but a sin that you have no control over. And why don't you have any control over? Because you give in to it over and over and over again. And that's what happens. We, we want our comfort. We want our pleasure. We want our safety. You know, jump off the pinnacle. You'll be safe. I can do whatever I want. I'll, I'll be safe. God will take care of me. God's going to protect me. You know, where's our security? There's no security in this world. But I am absolutely certain I am secure in his hands. I'm going to make it home eventually one day. Now, how I get there, I don't know. I don't know. But if your number one need is to be secure, you're in trouble. Because there's no security in this life other than in Christ. Amen? Is it wealth, power, influence? Stay away from politics, right, Anthony? Bad, bad, bad people, aren't they? Yeah. And you have your experience, haven't you? Yeah. And how corrupt they are. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 
Chapter 5, verse 5, a priest forever. So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said, you are my son. I, today I have begotten you. As he also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Who is Melchizedek? A theophany of Christ in the Old Testament that Abraham saw. Who in the days of his flesh when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him, who was able to save him from death and heard because of his godly fear, though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. He cried out to God. Oh, we're going to see that in Luke's gospel, it tells us at the end of the temptation, Satan left him for a season, until an opportune time. When was that opportune time? When? In the, garden. in the garden. That's right, Ray. That opportune time was in the garden when he sweat drops of blood, when he cried out to God vehemently. And he said, Father, let this cup pass from me. If there be any other way, indicative of the fact there's no other way to heaven except by Christ through his cross. Okay? The Father allowed the suffering of His Son for our salvation. There was no other way. And so it says in verse 9, and having been perfected. What does that mean? Without sin. He never rebelled. He never did not execute the will of His Father. Oh, God, I want to be perfected. Don't you? I want to be perfected, Lord. I'd like to go one week where I could say, I've done always those things that please the Father. Wouldn't you like to do one, Just one week. Oh, all right, how about a day? Can I, one day. One day. I'd have to stay off my, out of my car and off 385. But it's not possible for us, but he did it on our behalf. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who, what? Obey him. Obey him. Called by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. Oh, boy. Falling to those comforts, those pleasures, falling to the sensational, the need for safety, falling to wanting a political leader who's going to lead you. And there's no political solution for what ails us, beloved. You will become dull of hearing. I'm concerned. I want to encourage you to be more students of the word than you ever have before. Pray, yield to the Holy Spirit, and ask God to show you what's coming. Because what's coming is not pretty. But God has purposed it. And we can go through it for his glory. Jesus suffered tremendously. 40 days without food and then these temptations that came upon him. Can you imagine? No, I can't. I cannot. And then this, 
period of time were acknowledging his passion, his suffering. He knew exactly what was going to take place, and yet he did it on our behalf. And isn't it amazing, where Israel failed, the Messiah succeeded, for Israel's behalf and for ours. Hmm? Israel suffered. They suffered in the beginning. Oh, the greatest suffering is coming at the end for them, isn't it? Isn't it? But then they'll be glorifying God. Then they'll turn to God to obey him. Now this Lenten season, and the reason why historically the church is taught through this text and many other, like, uh, well, go to uh, 1 Peter. On your way to 1 Peter, stop in James. Hi, James. James 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Everybody there? Everybody in James? James 1? Verse 2 now. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And let patience have its perfect work, that you may lack nothing. There may be perfect, complete, lacking nothing. If anything, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives all liberally and without reproach, that it may be given to him. What would be the wisdom? What would you be asking? Why? Why? Right? And sometimes we get an immediate answer, sometimes we don't. But, but go ahead and ask, because when you're going through a suffering and a trial, that's the one thing you want to know is, why? I, I don't know what Cheryl said, Hank, but when my Roberta was diagnosed with cancer and she started going down that road of suffering, and I said, why, why? And she said, well, why not me? Why, why not me? That was the Holy Spirit. And that's what he's saying here. It's okay to ask. Why? But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea tossed to and fro by the wind. For let not a man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. If you're doubt, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Drop down to verse 12. Blessed is the man, the woman who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, tested and found genuine, sincere, approved, loves God, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Love him. Go to 1 Peter. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not asking for a response. I'm just going to throw this out for your consideration to think about it. Why don't you want to obey Lent? Why, do one, why don't you want to flick your soul? Now, it doesn't make you righteous. It doesn't obligate God in any way. But what you're demonstrating to God is you're willing for this time as you're thinking about his suffering and what he had foregone and had forsaken for our behalf that I can afflict my flesh for a little while. And, and through the Holy Spirit's enablement, succeed in this fast, 
That, that's all it's about. It's about just, just showing, Lord, I want to obey you. And right now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give up something I really enjoy, a pleasure, a comfort, you know, ah, notoriety, be the jackass I know I am, <laughs> power, influence, wealth, you know. Once you display to your flesh that his spirit is in control in the area where you're most tempted, then your flesh knows that his spirit is in control in every area. As soon as your flesh knows it has control in any area, it knows it can control all areas. Do you understand? Does that make sense to you? Samson's a good example. Completely out of control. So unnecessary. Why? Why? What was he? A Nazar. A Nazar, Exodus chapter 6. Right? A Nazar. A Nazar, the law of the Nazar was what? Couldn't cut his hair. You think he had long hair? Couldn't allow a razor to touch his head. Couldn't shave his beard, couldn't cut his hair. Couldn't touch a dead body. And, and God the Holy Spirit was upon him from the womb when he was first conceived to his death. But what he didn't access was the power that was available to him that reigned within him. Now listen, that's, that, that power is available to you and I. Do you choose to exercise it? The, the, the more I choose to exercise control over my flesh, the more my flesh knows that my communion with the Holy Spirit is controlling me, not my appetites. You know, we've got a few more minutes. You know, you know that uh, God is a superior trinity, right? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We're an inferior trinity, right? Uh, spirit, mind, body, right? Now, body, mind, spirit. Most people, they're not... That's pretty... Most people operate as a body-conscious creature. My dog is body-conscious. I can get my dog to do anything I want by tempting him through his appetite. His God is his belly, right? So knowing who his God is, I can motivate him to do just about anything I want. But that's how animals operate. Animals operate on that, that animal plane where they're body conscious. The body and the body appetites control all their thinking, right? And all of that thinking is, changes their behavior. You know, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is, so he is. Now, when God awakens your spirit, you're no longer body conscious, you're spirit driven. You're not blood-born, you're spirit-born, right? Born of the Spirit of God. And, and so now it's not, it's not here's the, the example I like to use. you got the superior trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. you got the inferior trinity, right? Body, mind, and spirit. When your spirit is alive, God gives you a right standing. You become righteous. Righteous means right standing, right standing before God. And then you connect. How do I become one with God? Spirit to spirit. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Spirit, Mind, Body. As I commune with the Spirit of God, now my thinking changes completely. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. 
right? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come new. Where are you renewed more than any place else? In your mind. We talked about that last week. In your mind. And, and once your mind is renewed, controlled by the Spirit of God, your body appetites are all under his control. Not under the body's control any longer. But unfortunately, we have way too many people who are operating on that animal plane. They're body conscious. These different seasons during the year, and I, I suggest that you purpose to fast regularly throughout the year. It's a good thing to do, to just harness your flesh, to let your flesh know that God and you are in control. It's not. Do you understand what I'm saying? Hmm? Now, Jesus demonstrated how we successfully can go through all the trials, all the testings of this life by taking the word of God, not just into our head. A lot of people have it in their head, but into our heart. I must obey your word, God. And if you're not there, you need to pray and ask God to bring you there. It's only the person of the Holy Spirit that will get you there. To have that resolve, that firm commitment, that constitution, where you want to obey the Lord. The very serious concern, the, the number of people who profess to have faith in Christ, yet display no, no spirit Discipline, no self-discipline whatsoever. You know, I <clears throat> we should never allow ourselves to get out of control in any area, should we? I confess, I got weaknesses. Ice cream, pastries, sweets, but I keep it in moderation. And, and you know, I make fun of it a lot from the public. But Gail will tell you, you know, it doesn't have control over me. I control it. I keep it in moderation. Otherwise, I'd be 300 pounds. But what does it say, what does it say when, when, a, when a minister is, is... What does it say when your appetite controls you? What does it say when, when you know, Spurgeon couldn't get away from his cigars? You know, Any fleshly appetite that controls you demonstrates the fact that you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to take control. You know, it's not too late. This Sunday is only the second Sunday of Lent. If he suffered so greatly for you and I, you can't suffer a little bit for him? The contemporary church doesn't seem to know anything truly about the call to obedience and the call to suffering. There's a calling upon all of our lives for suffering. I've shared with you numerous occasions that the great physician has prescribed a suffering for every one of us. For what purpose? To perfect us. That through our sufferings, we would learn as he did what? What? Obedience. Obedience. Yeah. I love Lent. I love remembering his suffering on my behalf. I love the fact that my Savior didn't ask me to die for him, but he died for me. And now he just asked that I would live for him. Amen? Amen. Pastor David, you got a closing song?